entering the Freedom Hut. Democrats are up in arms because President Trump actually wants to secure the border and enforce our immigration laws. We'll talk about the debates around that. And also, the media really wants Elizabeth Warren to move past her whole Cherokee DNA debacle. Will it work? And someone on the far left of YouTube decides that they are going to say horrific things about Navy SEAL Dan Crenshaw. We'll slap that nonsense down and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. This is targeting children and holding them indefinitely. And the conditions in these facilities right now, they're not only not getting vaccinations, they're not, they don't have toothbrushes, they don't have toothpaste, they're in cages. These are the things that we're seeing of these children. And Donald Trump has said before, in the abortion context, that we need to protect the children of God. What about these children? Is the difference because of the color of their skin? Is it the difference because these are Mexican children? Is the difference because they are coming from other countries? Instead of you know, detaining children and building a border wall, the president should look at what is happening in our country. He should see what's happening with these refugees and he should work with Congress and actually do something about it. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Sorry we had to start with all that blather. Blather, lots of it. Lots of just blah, 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 nonsense. From the DNC communications director there. I cannot pronounce her name. And I will not try because it's going to be way off. But the DNC comms director there with the usual hysterics, Oh, it must be that Trump is a racist because we if we have any immigration enforcement whatsoever, it must be rooted in racism. There's no other no other explanation for it. That's the that's the new Democratic Party for you folks. You have anything to say at all about enforcing immigration law. It must be because you're basically a white nationalist, a member of the KKK. I like to take liberals at their word with some of this, which is always a bad idea because they'll just change and they'll lie. And, you know, there's no honor to protect. So they have a lot of leeway, a lot of maneuverability. But what is, an ex- what is an acceptable detention facility for uh, now that families will be held together? Originally, it was, oh, my gosh, you're separating families. You're basically Hitler. That's what they were saying. And there were some real concerns about, OK, how long are they going to be separated and what's really going on here? And is this the best way to enforce? I mean, that's, there was a real conversation we had there. No question. The administration said, OK, we're not going to do that anymore. And now they're saying, OK, you know what? We, we are. And, oh, and the left love that because. They could not process the family unit showing up at the border fast enough. So what does that mean? I was down at the border when I was in El Paso. You know, Border Patrol told me a lot of the time where people are being released in the interior in two days. Forget 20 days, two days. Oh, you're showing up, you're crossing illegally, not at a port of entry. You walk up to Border Patrol at the border. You say, I'm turning myself in. And then you have to spend two days in these facilities that we're told are so horrible and then you're letting the interior United States, of course, more and more people are going to do that. You're skipping the entire immigration process. Couldn't be any easier to get in the United States, really. I mean, you know, other than just saying this is a straight up open border, you don't even have to check in for a day or two. You're just going to go right through. Border Patrol all of a sudden are like the guys standing on an aircraft carrier waving the planes through, you know. That's what Border Patrol turns into. Okay, so now we say we're going to hold them 
in detention as family units. No more family separation. We're going to provide them with better money, better, you know, better money for the programs, more resources. And so the complaints are, oh, they're in cages. And they're not being held in like animal cages. They're being held in fenced off areas. Because one, they don't have the additional facilities because nobody was expecting hundreds of thousands of migrants to use children to exploit our immigration laws in these ways, which is what has happened. But what's acceptable? You know, they're, 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 I've talked to Border Patrol, I've been down there, they say that they have, people are bringing DVDs, they can watch movies, they have access to, you know, to food, to medicine, they have, you know, beds to sleep in. Well, what's, what is it not? I mean, does it have to be like a Holiday Inn for everybody? I mean, is it, is it a three-star hotel is now the baseline for what is acceptable for migrant detention for people who have broken U.S. law willingly, knowingly, exploited the generous spirit of the American people, gamed the system around asylum laws. We have asylum laws not for people that say, I can make more money in America and they've got some nice welfare benefits. We have asylum for people that if they don't have another country to go to, their home country is going to torture and execute them. That's why we have asylum laws. That's not what's happening here. And DNC chief also says, that because, you know, claiming that this is rooted in racism because they're Mexican, a vast majority of these migrants overwhelmingly are from Central America. They're not Mexican. So that was a strange thing for her to say. But the, it doesn't, the facts don't matter to her. She's a DNC spokesperson. She's just there to tell you Trump is racist. Enforcing immigration law is racist. Even really having immigration laws must be racist, I suppose. That's what this has all come to. Now, let's have a more sane version of events from Kevin McAleenan on what's really happening here with family separation. What is the purpose of this? How is it being done? Play four. President Obama had separation. I'm the one that brought them together. This new rule will do even more to bring them together. It establishes very high standards of care for children in federal custody, first and foremost, and implements the 20-year-old the settlement, but it also allows us to keep families uh, through their immigration proceedings. That's what we're, we're doing what the left said they wanted to be done here. The Trump administration is going to keep them together. No more family separation. But as we know, that's not enough. That never was going to be enough. Because they like, the left likes the status quo on immigration as of six months ago. They like 100, 130, 140,000 illegals crossing in every month. It, one, is very clear evidence that Trump has not been able to secure the border. We could talk about whether that's his fault or not, but it, it, it's not secure. And two, it keeps going one of their favorite uh, political recruitment uh, programs, which is to bring in people who are obviously going to need state benefits and are going to be told uh, disproportionately and are going to be told by one political party, oh, sure, you broke the law, but that's no problem. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's just those big, mean Republicans that don't want to give you what you are owed by the American people. That's one of the narratives you hear is that the reason there are all these problems in these Central American countries like Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador, the reason these problems exist is because is because of America. So we owe them. I have to wonder what country do we not owe anymore? You know, we, we're the bad guys in the leftist narrative of events. We're the bad guys with every country. I mean, really, North Korea is our fault. I'm sure actually there are leftists who argue that it is our fault, but a conversation for another time. 
And then also the discussion around birthright citizenship. This reminds me quite a bit of the Statue of Liberty, the uh, Statue of Liberty, the Emma Lazarus poem. You say, well, hold on a second. The the truth of immigration law was that there were many people who were turned away at Ellis Island. Can you imagine going uh, transatlantic trip? And sorry, uh, we're not we can't let you into the country. Go back. That happened a lot. There was public charge laws in the books for as long as we've been enforcing immigration laws. And we're told that, oh, no, it's just the poem at the base of the Statue of Liberty. Now we're told birthright citizenship is settled, is constitutional law. This is the way it is. Okay, if the Second Amendment can be sliced and diced by liberals a million different ways to mean anything other than what it says, which is that you have the right to keep and bear arms, uh, I, I think subject to the jurisdiction thereof, is also a conversation we need to have because here's the problem, folks. If you are in the country illegally, you are not subject to the jurisdiction thereof in the sense that you have gone around our acceptance of you on our territory from a legal perspective. And there are already already exist loopholes in this. If you are a foreign diplomat and you have a child in America, that person is not an American because you are subject to the jurisdiction of your home country as a diplomat here in America. That's the way it has been interpreted. The Supreme Court has never ruled on this, but there is a very clear effort in the media to make it seem like this is already done, this is already settled, nothing else to say. No, this has been the interpretation of federal law, but interpretation of federal law on a whole bunch of things changes with one Supreme Court decision. Changes very rapidly, very suddenly. Um, any number of decisions, whether it's uh, Obergfell or Roe v. Wade or you name it, momentous decisions where all of a sudden something becomes federal law or is no longer federal law. Birthright citizenship is something that the president should push on. The administration should take this to the Supreme Court because I think that it would be a 5-4 decision, but I think we would find that the anchor baby, uh, the anchor baby reality is going to end. That was not what the founders had in mind. That is not what is supposed to happen. If you're a foreigner and you break U.S. law, you are not subject to the jurisdiction thereof for the purposes of citizenship. We have more coming up. Stay with me. I did have a shadow hearing on what what happens in these facilities and what happens to the children. Clearly, they are harmed irreparably. And our country should not be imposing this kind of cruelty on children. But... I think that the Trump administration people sit around every single day thinking up new ways to be cruel to these migrants. That's what they do. And tomorrow they'll probably come up with something else. That's Senator Hirono from Hawaii, whom I, I do think we have to be fair. We have to give credit where it is due. I think she is the dumbest single person in the United States Congress, which is that's quite a feat. But I do believe she's the dumbest. But here, when she says that the Trump administration is trying to come up with it, this, this is what she said, trying to come up, every, sit around, quote, every single day, think up new ways to be cruel to migrants. This is now what the Democrat argument has become. Your big, mean meanies when it comes to illegal immigration. Why are you so mean? Why don't you care about the children? Many of you will remember from the early days of the Bucks Action Show, I've, I've always told you one of my, my Team Buck maxims is always be skeptical when politicians tell you 
that it's to fight the terrorists or it's to save the children. That doesn't mean it never is true. It just means always be skeptical. And for a Democratic Party that clearly has problems defending very, very, very small children, i.e. in the womb, this uh, all of a sudden this newfound deep and abiding and continuous concern over illegal alien children. You have to wonder, what is this really about? And it is a distraction. It's a distraction because if people found out, if they had to, Democrats were forced to tell us what they really want at the southern border, what they really believe in, they would not be able to even think about beating Trump the next election. If you had Democrats come forward and just say what we know to be true, but what they pretend is not true on immigration, which is that they do not think illegal aliens are any problem or burden on the country whatsoever. They do not think that sovereignty and the U.S.'s ability to determine who comes into this country and who doesn't is necessary and important. They disagree with the enforcement of immigration laws in any way at any time that involve punishment and deterrence. These are all true. Th- these are not really disputable facts anymore. These, these are all real things that we see that are happening. If they told the American people that, how long do you think they'd be able to even pretend that they have a realistic shot of winning over swing voters and, and key states that are going to be up for grabs in the next election? I mean, how long do you think it would really be? I think that enough people, because immigration is a, usually it's, you know, the economy and jobs are always the, that's one, in, economy, jobs, healthcare are, are the ones that, People are fixated on it every election, understandably so. Healthcare, the reason we're so fixated on it, I would note, is that it doesn't get better and it doesn't get cheaper because of all the government intervention. We think that healthcare, or we're, we're, the media narrative on healthcare is, oh, we need more government, government uh, work, more government intrusion to the healthcare market because it's expensive, because you can't get government. The reason it's so expensive and doesn't get better and doesn't get cheaper is because the market is not allowed to work. Because healthcare is heavily, heavily regulated and involves a tremendous amount of cross subsidies where you are paying for other people's stuff. But they want you to think that you're actually getting the sweet deal. Um, but then immigration is right below that. So immigration is very important for the purposes of the next election. It's going to be a major issue. And the left will not be honest about where they are on this because I think it's quite clear the American people would revolt against what they are saying. In fact, even the Obama administration would be considered unacceptable, racist, and xenophobic to the present Democratic administration. The big problem this week has been over the Flores consent decree. One federal judge decades ago deciding, hey, you can't hold them more than 20 days And the federal government says, okay, fine, that seems reasonable because there weren't a lot of children showing up at the border. So on the rare occasion, somebody would show up with with a child uh, as an illegal crossing. They were to say, all right, we, we can't hold them more than 20 days. That seemed reasonable. It's not reasonable when that's being exploited in massive numbers by hundreds of thousands of people. Because then you just overwhelm the system. Then the system cannot process the individuals who are breaking law. And then there's a greater incentive for more people to break the law. And all along, those who are coming in illegally are led into the interior of the United States, never to be seen again. 
by the courts. And if they are seen by the courts, they're not going to get deported because this is, you have to remember this, even if they show up for their asylum hearing, there's then an additional hearing after that that they're supposed to show up for about specifically contesting their deportation. So even if you show up to the asylum hearing, you're not going to get deported if you get turned down under the current system. So the fact that you've had as many people skipping the first hearing just goes to show they were never thinking about getting asylum. They just want to come into the country. But the Flores consent decree set up this 20-day time limit, and even Jay Johnson back in the day uh, would say, it was DHS under Obama, he would say that, you know, this is an issue, folks. We, we, can't, uh, we can't deal with this Flores decree the way it is, play, fifth, uh, play five. We expanded family detention, and then we ran into the issue of the Flores case. I disagreed then with the ruling in the Flores case because I think that our Border Patrol and our immigration enforcement people need those tools available to deal with situations like this. Saying they need the tools, as in they need to be able to hold people longer to process them to figure out what's going on. This is, this is if you're going to have a serious conversation about immigration, you have to look at these things like detention, punishment, deportation. If those are not all a part of what's going on, you do not have a, a immigration system worthy of the name. The Obama administration would have been unacceptable to the Democratic Party of today. This is just the, this is just the truth. And so we have to remember this as we have all these libs now saying, oh, the, you know, Maisie Hirono, you know, they're just trying to be cruel. Oh, the cruelty is the point. And all oh, they're being so mean and so nasty. Uh, okay, enforcing the law always involves people being disappointed and upset. If that's going to be a reason, if, if, if the tears of children separated from parents are going to determine what laws can be, we got a lot of problems, folks, because pretty much anybody who's got kids can't go to prison anymore. And there are a lot of people that have kids who are currently in federal prison, state prison, you name it. So I guess we have to revisit all of that because that's family separation, too. There is more concern for this Democratic Party for illegal aliens than any other constituency in America right now. This is this is going to be a problem. I, I hope that haunts the Democratic Party going forward. We will have to see. But things are getting crazier out there, folks. That much is for sure. Suddenly, instead of thinking about the DNA test, people are thinking, oh, she's the one that's got a plan for that. Yeah. I mean, that is a remarkable kind of turnaround. And I think, you know, I, I know that the Biden campaign behind the scenes is watching every single move she's making. There's no carefully. obvious way to make the case she's unelectable. That's the problem they got. Well, she right. also well, leads and, in these and, polls, and, too. Like, what's, Not as by as much. What's unspoken here, right? right. She's a woman. Right. Right. Can I just say character-wise, let's elect a woman, okay? This, like, nonsense that's been coming from our male politicians of all parties. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm tired of it. Yeah. You don't want to worry about character. Elect a woman, please. Thank you. There it is. There it is. Yeah, that's really smart analysis from MSNBC's Casey Hunt. Let's pretend like people of one gender or another have better character than the other gender. Now I know they were there was they were laughing a little bit. I mean, I, it was a little bit tongue, but it's a it's a very dumb thing to say. It's, and I think she kind of believes it. I mean, th- there was a little bit of joking, but there was a lot of belief from what I could pick up there. And just the way that they talk about Elizabeth Warren now, though, you're going to talk about character and then speak about Elizabeth Warren. Here's the problem. I mean, her whole I'm I'm proving myself. I mean, she must have been truly delusional 
from carrying the lie about her Cherokee heritage as long as she did, I think she had actually brainwashed herself. I think she had really convinced herself that, that to live with a lie that she obviously benefited from. I've spoken to people who were, who were at Harvard Law School when she was teaching there, and she would say, as a Cherokee from you know Oklahoma, like she would throw it out there all the time, and it was part of her identity. It was part of her appeal. I'm sure it was helpful in her getting hired. I'm sure it was helpful in any tenure decisions, but she likes to pretend otherwise. But to live with such a massive lie as long as she did, you might start to say, you know what? I, maybe I am a Cherokee. Maybe, you know, maybe I did. I, I think that that's where she was because there's no way to explain otherwise the bizarre and I mean, I'll never forget it because I called it out as bizarre. And that CNN was, you know, breaking news. Elizabeth Warren proves her, her heritage. It's like, proves it. She did the opposite of prove it, you idiots. And then CNN's head of PR came after me on Twitter. And I said, yeah, buddy, good luck trying to convince people who have a brain that CNN is not left-wing propaganda now. Good, or, or has been for a long time. Good luck with that. That's a fun game to play. You weren't even watching our coverage, he said. Yeah, I was actually. I was watching your coverage. It was pathetic. So desperate to try to make this problem go away for Elizabeth Warren. Uh, but she's still in it because you're allowed to lie about this stuff. You're, you're allowed. Remember, Obama was allowed to have launched his political campaign uh, in the living room of a known domestic terrorist, Bill Ayers. That, that was considered okay. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't disqualifying. You know, no big deal. Whatever. Go to church and, and hear from a guy in church who says, you know, GD America and chickens come home to roost with 9-11. And you know, that was no big deal. Don't make anything seem like it's no big deal. And then they turn around and say, oh, my gosh, how can you not be more upset about the Trump tweets? I don't know, because we're going to return to that era of White House, Dem Democrat White House decency and civility like Bill Clinton when he's, you know, basically ready to make homemade porno videos in the Oval Office. I mean, that's that's what we're, we're going to go back to that era of civility and decency or don't even get me started on JFK. I mean, they, they act like, oh, my gosh, Trump is so uncouth, so uncivilized. Well, compared to who? I compared to Clinton and JFK, that's for sure. Uh, but anyway, back to uh, the, the candidates here for a moment. I mean, you know, Warren, they're going to just make this whole thing go. They're going to act like the... DNA thing is no big deal. And look, she's a real, because she is the bridge. She is the, you, you have enough of the Biden establishment Democrat bona fides with her, but enough of the progressive, and she's a woman. And the truth is for the Democrat party to have yet another, you know, white male as their, as their candidate, all they do is lecture us about how, you know, we need more diversity and, you know, White males are oppressors and we're bad and we've ruined history. We've ruined the world. We, you know, there is, it's, you know, the Democrats really have uh, got a big problem with white males who don't constantly talk about how white males are a problem. If, if you're willing to walk around, if you're willing to be Beto and be like, I'm just, my name is Beto O'Rourke and I'm just so sorry that I'm a white male and I just like want your, I want to beg. No, really, I want to beg for your forgiveness. If you don't do that, then you're a problem. Um, but I think, you know, Bernie Sanders is watching very closely whatever Elizabeth Warren does because he understands that there are a lot of people in the party that would like to see her. The moment she edges ahead of him, she has all the progressive upside and much less of the radical downside, at least in the perception of the Democrat establishment. Speaking of radical, Bernie Sanders, 
This is the kind of rhetoric that you can expect from Bernie Sanders on a regular basis. Play 13. The reason that we have introduced that very strong pro-union platform is that for 45 years there has been a war in this country waged by the corporate elite against the working class of America. And the truth of the matter, not talked about in Congress, not talked about in the media, is that as a result of that war against the working class by the corporate elite, what we have seen is the decimation of working families all across this country, while the wealthiest people and largest corporations have done phenomenally well. A war against the working class. This could also be called class warfare that Bernie Sanders is offering up. It's class warfare. That's right. The, the elites that stealing from you, stealing from everybody. It's a war on the working class. Uh, someone might want to ask Bernie Sanders at some point, does, does he have any thoughts on the dissolution of the family, uh, the sky high, not just uh, divorce rate, but more to the point, uh, fa- uh, father absenteeism and what that has done to working class families across the country, uh, and particularly in certain communities. So is that something that Bernie Sanders will ever address? I think not. No, much easier to create this phantom menace of the evil corporations that are just destroying workers all over the country. Uh, meanwhile, the Democrats also tell us that there are all these jobs that we won't do that we need illegal aliens to come in and do because we're too high and mighty for those jobs. Remember the jobs Americans won't do? Which is it? I wish the Democrats could could get on the same page about this. So at least then we'd know what their position is. But their position is whatever it has to be to win elections. That's all they care about. So, team, I got a, a trivia question I want to start this segment off with. And it's a question that I know you all know the answer to, but I, I like the rhetorical style here of starting with a question. Who is the first president in the history of the United States to run for office as a proponent of what is now referred to as marriage equality, what was formerly referred to as gay marriage? Who's the first? If you said Obama, eh, wrong. Definitely wasn't Clinton. He was trying to win power at the time, so he was all about the Defense of Marriage Act. Um, But you know the answer is Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the first president in the history of the United States to to run as somebody who is in favor of... Now, the Republican Party platform has not changed yet to uh, what marriage equality, to, to same-sex marriage, which I think is the most uh, specific term for it, same-sex marriage, because marriage equality is kind of vague. Uh, but we know that Trump is the first one, and yet we hear all the time that Trump is a threat to the LGBTQ community and that Trump gets almost no credit from most of the LGBTQ community. But we have to come up with a better description than that acronym. It is just unwieldy. I'm just, it's just unwieldy. I'm not, you know, and and they, they, they've added there the Q is a new one, right? But they've added letters to it. We're going to have more letters. And at some point, an acronym that's just random letters is too much of it. And, it becomes unwieldy. I think we're already there. So we need to come up with something else. Uh, some other description for the community. Just an idea. Um, something that's h- handier, easier to use. But 
The left just skips over all that. And they they have this, they have, again, a narrative. They're very invested in it that Trump is somehow anti-LGBT. And there was a, there was recently a, a bit of a dust up because the log cabin Republicans came out in support of you know Trump's reelection, and you can tell that libs hate this because they really think that the only people who vote for Trump are or who should vote for Trump are white racists. That 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 is a liberal widespread liberal belief. The only people who it makes sense for them to vote for Trump are white racists. Anybody else, they think it's just insane that you would vote for Trump, right? That's, that's their honor. Never mind that you had, you know, you had uh, you know, m- millions of Latinos vote for Trump last election. You know, you had about 10%, I think it was, of the black community. Maybe it was more like 7% vote for Trump in the last election. I mean, but when you're talking about 60 million voters, that's a lot of people, actually. I mean, you know, people, anyway. I'd like. I actually don't know offhand that I should check it out. What percentage of the of the LGBT community voted for for Trump? I don't know what it is, but I do know that he's the first president to have ever been running for office. Obama was a traditional marriage guy. They just let that pass. If you were a, a private citizen who supported, say, traditional marriage in two thousand and seven, years later, libs will decide to make an example of you and ruin your life. But if you're Obama and you had to get elected and you didn't want to alienate black churches in your first run in particular in 2008-2009, you were given a total pass by the left, right? Of course, Obama's given a pass for everything, but he's given a total pass on that issue. Very interesting exchange. It's rare for this to happen on MSNBC between uh, Hallie Jackson. I don't know who she is. Somehow she's a person who's on TV now. I've never seen her before. I don't know her. Uh, Going up against a member of Log Cabin Republicans and trying to explain, and remember, she's supposed to be a journalist, but this is a very oppositional segment because she's like, what do you mean you're gay and you support Trump? Here's how that goes. This was an interesting exchange. Play 16. But by endorsing President Trump, you're endorsing a number of other policies as well. Like, for example, the Labor Department just last week proposing a rule that would make it easier for government contractors to discriminate against LGBTQ employees. Transgender workers not protected by a civil rights law is the argument the DOJ is making. You're endorsing that... U.S. embassies shouldn't fly the pride flag, pride flag rather, that HHS can scrap this Obama policy that stops healthcare providers from discriminating against transgender patients. The list goes on. You can see the headlines there. How are you comfortable with that? Well, some of those, some of those issues are just either not true or are taken out of in a context in a way that, that doesn't fully show what Let's the Let's put the context are. aside, though, uh, because there are, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, there are advocates who are concerned that this administration Pause, 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 wait, 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 is he allowed to answer, anchor lady, or do you just jump in and, and like tell him what he has to say? You could tell she's really, this really bothers her. Here's a gay man who's telling her, look, the stuff you brought up is kind of all crap, and Trump's actually really, been really good to the gay community overall. Keep playing it. Americans, then he has to protect them. I, was I understand you're making of, the opposite I was, argument, I was but I want to know why. I was standing in front of the Berlin embassy three weeks ago with the pride flag raised. I mean, once again, these are controversies that don't exist. They are things that the, the, that the left wing is using to try to force a wedge between the LGBT community and the Republican Party. And what this does is our endorsement is providing a block on that false narrative the Democrats continue to, to promulgate, which is if you're gay, you have to be a Democrat because Republicans Republicans don't like you. So and that's not, that's just patently not true. Ah, 
Well done by this gentleman, by the way, on TV. He's absolutely that. That is exactly what this is all about. It's really not about policy. The dispute, I mean, the left, the Democrat media, what they're trying to do is to make it very clear to everybody out there that the belief is this is like the marching orders from the top of the left pyramid all the way on down to the rest of the, of the country is that you uh, you should think that Trump does not like gay people. Don't ask why. Don't ask what evidence there is for that. Just that's the belief you are supposed to hold. Trump is hostile to gay people. Trump is not a friend to the gay community. And if you question that, people will come after you. Now, of course, we should question that because there is really no evidence at all for it. And I would note that the the T part of the LGBTQ acronym, transgender, that's the only place where you see any real dispute within this administration. And uh, there are some very obvious reasons why that continues to be an area of some controversy. You know, it was just recently that I, I saw something where you know, another article trying to say, you know, straight men who are not attracted to transgender women, which means an individual with male genitalia who emotionally feels female, because that is what we're talking about. There's no physical distinction other than, you know, one's belief. It is belief based. You could even say transgenderism, in a sense, is faith based uh, because it is based on the faith that what's there isn't really there. There's something else there. Hmm. And this has actually gotten some attention from a GOP Louisiana governor um, when he decided to take on this issue. Here's what he said. And this is a new campaign ad. Play 20. I'm Ralph Abraham. I'm running for governor. And here's the truth. Life begins at conception. Government is too big. Our taxes are too high. And our car insurance is too expensive. President Trump is doing a great job. Facts matter more than feelings. The Second Amendment is self-explanatory. And as a doctor, I can assure you there are only two genders. I'm Republican conservative Ralph Abraham. I'm running for governor, and that's the truth. Governor of Louisiana there. WRNO, New Orleans. Giving you all a high five down there. Uh, Yeah. Only two genders. For an MD to say that has now become a point of controversy. So yeah, there are some areas where the left and the right really disagree on this stuff. But to say that that means that the first president to have ever run in favor, to have ever been from the beginning of his presidency in favor of same-sex marriage, and to give him no credit for that, just goes to show you the left, it isn't really about the policy. It's about the culture around it and the way that that builds the left's power. That's what really matters. You're supposed to think Trump does not like gay people, even though the evidence is to the contrary, that he appoints people like Richard Grinnell to be a very senior ambassador at the State Department of Germany. I mean, you're, you're supposed to believe Trump doesn't like gay people because the lib media says so. And if you challenge that, they get upset because they like this little story that they tell people and they don't want that to fall apart because then all of a sudden more and more gay people might realize, hold on a second, Trump is totally fine with me, totally supportive and doesn't want to take more of my money through taxes. Hmm. I think that uh, it's fair to say that the radicals in the Democratic Party stand for the elimination of Israel as a country. And I think that that's going to cause ultimately a pretty profound civil war in the Democratic Party. These people are really bad for the future of Israel. 
Uh, if you look at there, what they would do, they basically would eliminate Israel as a country. Now, we can have an honest, straight-up debate about why the Democratic Party is tolerating a group of people who are that deeply anti-Israeli and that deeply anti-Semitic. Uh, and I think that's a matter of, doesn't have to get you into loyalty about America, but it's clearly fair to say these are not people who want to have a sound future for Israel. Still in this back and forth between left and right over, you know, who are the real anti-Semites? You know, who are the, who are the anti-Semites that we have to be worried about? And you have the squad with two of its members, Tlaib and all. I, 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 look, I said yesterday we weren't going to, I'm going to keep it quick today. I, I think I said yesterday I'm done with this story, but I'm not, I'm not quite done with it yet. I've got, there's a little more today. So that's I'm going to keep it, I'm going to keep it uh, quick on this though. I mean, Newt's correct. There is anti-Semitism in the Democratic Party, but you can only get away with anti-Semitism if you are in the intersectional, um, I was going to say the intersectional totem pole. I don't think I could say that, though, right? That's not On the intersectional uh, hierarchy, there we go. I mean, totem pole is more expressive, but we'll go with hierarchy. Uh, if you are a minority and a female then you have much greater leeway to say be an anti-Semite than you would as a as a white male, even if you're a liberal, if you're a leftist, right? That's the way they view these things. There's a different layers, different levels of protection you have for these things. And now the left has tried to turn this all around and say Trump is the real anti-Semite, which is really stunning because, uh, you know, they're saying this, and they're putting forward their, their spokespersons for this narrative include people who are really not equipped for it at all based on their own past and the things that they have said. Um, Mehdi Hassan over at CNN uh, decided to go after Trump on this. Here's what he said. Play 18. And I just think we need to deal with this very dangerous idea that says uh, being pro-Jewish means you have to be pro-Israeli. Oh, being pro-Israeli means you're automatically pro-Jewish and you're immunized from the charge of anti-Semitism. Lots of anti-Semites support Israel and Benjamin mm -hmm. Netanyahu. It doesn't mean anything. And regardless of Donald Trump's views on Israel, as your report showed, he's always been an anti-Semite. This is not a controversial opinion. The facts are there. He was an anti-Semite in the 1980s when Ivana said he kept a book of Hitler speeches next to his bed. He was an anti-Semite in the 90s when his casino manager said he only wanted short guys in yarmulkes counting his money. He was an anti-Semite in 2013 when he shamed Jon Stewart on Twitter for having a Jewish birth name. And of course in 2015 when he said to Republican Jewish donors, you won't vote for me because I don't want your money. And then we see the presidency, neo-Nazis at Charlottesville, very fine people. It goes on and on and on. I don't know how much more evidence we need that he's an anti-Semite and it's amazing that not a single Republican today has called him out for it. Eh. Nice try, Mehdi, who is a Hamas apologist, by the way. <laughs> if, if we're CNN, you got to do a little more due diligence, folks. Uh, before you put a guy forward who is, is very, and has not a single harsh word to say about uh, MIFTA, the, or the, the pro-terror organization that Tlaib and Omar wanted to go visit, he doesn't have a bad word to say about that group. He you know, doesn't have a bad word, word to say about Palestinian suicide bombers and the culture and the society around them that still openly celebrates it, gives money to the families. I mean, that's you got to remember a suicide bomber in Palestine isn't somebody that everyone tries to forget about. It's a martyr. It's a hero. Somebody it's the family's given money supported. There's an apparatus around it to support it. But I just 
I mean, I grew up in New York City. I, I knew of the Trumps. I knew the Trumps a little bit growing up. I knew of the Trumps for, for a very, very long, my whole life, really. Nobody thinks Donald Trump is an anti-Semite, okay? I'm so, like, this is just, like, get over yourselves, libs. I know you hate it. You absolutely hate it when somebody does to you what you're so used to doing to them, which is pull out an ism, whether it's anti-Semitism, racism, sexism, Xenophobia is not an ism, but you know the you know what I mean. White nationalism, and they hate being called anti-Semitic or that anti-Semitism charges are leveled against them. So they're just desperate. Even Biden is desperate this way. Here's Biden. Play for, play on nineteen. Look what he did with American Jews and the Jewish community. Come on, man. That's like a dog whistle. Loyalty. Come on. And so, folks, it's got to stop. And I think we can stop it. It's got to stop. Come on, man. Where, where, where's Biden? <laughs> when is Biden getting all folksy? I mean, come on, man. Biden? Like, what? No serious person really thinks that Donald Trump is an anti-Semite. Donald Trump, whose daughter converted to Orthodox Judaism, whose son-in-law is, or whose 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 grandchildren are Jewish by one, you know, by one of his own kids. No serious person thinks Donald Trump's an anti-Semite, but this is how desperate they are. No, I'm not the, the, the thing. You're the thing. This is what Democrats have been reduced to in this whole process. At least they've moved on. I mean, they can't defend, at least not with any seriousness, they can't defend Omar, Omar and Tlaib. So at least they've figured that much out. So that, that part of it, I think, is perhaps progress. But yeah. Now they got people running around, including Hamas apologists, who uh, are going to tell us that that Trump's the real anti-Semite. Also, what was that thing that guy said about a lot of people support Israel who are anti-Semites? False. <laughs> what, the, what the heck is that? Oh, is this part of the evangelicals end of days? They don't like Jews, but they want Israel to be Israel because then the end of the world comes. I mean, this is like a left wing myth. I love that, though. Yeah, a lot of people support Israel, but don't like Jews. What kind of moron says that on TV? ABC has George Stephanopoulos, who was uh, at the White House, of course, during the Clinton years. There's many examples of this. The difference, of course, is the Trump White House's uh, record of, of misleading the public. All administrations spin. This administration lies consistently, whether it's Sanders or Spicer or other White House aides. And it's all led from the top by a president who lies even about the weather and the time of day. That, I think, is why this does deserve outrage and backlash. Obviously, Sanders going to Fox is not surprising. Uh, there's been a revolving door between Fox and the Trump White House for several years. But it's should still be surprising that somebody who misled the public and defended a man who calls the press the enemy uh, would land these kinds of jobs. Let me just say, though, Spicer, you know, he's not at the top of his career right now. You don't go to Dancing with the Stars when you're at your peak. As one source said to me, it's more like dancing with the down and out. This is the kind of job you take when you might not have many other options. But hey, maybe he's got an incredible dancing talent that we don't know about. I hey. guess we'll find out, Brianna. Hey, Brad Stelter at CNN is really, really witty and charming. And uh, he has a show, you know, he has a show at CNN because he's such a good, such a good journalist. So good at television. I can tell you, I, I did Brian Stelter's show once when I was at CNN, and he's a buffoon. He can't read a prompter. He can't ask questions without stumbling over himself. He usually has to tape his show well in advance, tape interviews well in advance. I've never seen someone restart an interview twice because they were so flustered because they were so crappy at being a TV host. Oh yeah, that's Brian Stelter for you. 
Hey, but excuse me, but I look like Jeff Zucker, and so because Zucker likes me, and I do his bidding, and I look like him, I have a show. And I just sort of go around and like pretend to be a journalist, but really all I do is just uh, do the left-wing talking points. <laughs> this guy's. Oh my gosh, the worst. What's the what's the big controversy he's tackling now? Oh, that's right. Okay, Sarah Huckabee Sanders got a job as a Fox News contributor. Is this? You know, first of all, I you know I think Sarah showed herself to be an incredibly capable spokeswoman for the administration. Did a very good job. She was the White House press secretary. Why wouldn't she get a job at Fox? Like, I mean, in what universe are they really living in where they think this is a controversy? I mean, excuse me, but the press secretary, but, but. you know, excuse me, Stelter. You know, oh, we're, we're going to talk a little later on about uh, someone at the Young Turks and, and, a, and a rant, a truly lunatic, I mean, a really psychotic level rant that is anti-military, that's disgusting, that's disgraceful. But we know the left doesn't really like the military. They, they pretend to sometimes, but the far left really hates our military. Uh, I wonder if Stelter's going to cover that. I, I, doubt, I doubt he will. We'll get to that coming up in the next hour. Uh, but Stelter here is going after Huckabee Sanders. And what's the what's the rationale? What's the big problem here? Oh, that's right. Because Trump is such a liar. Because Trump lies so much. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders lied so much. I wish that I had the opportunity to sit there and ask Stelter on the spot. Okay, yeah. What's the big lie? What's the thing that Huckabee Sanders lied about? That really we're, we're all told. Remember, they just want you to attach this thought to her. Huckabee Sanders, liar. Huckabee Sanders, liar. That's why it's just repetition. Right? This, is, this is a brute force attack on your mind. Oh, she's a liar. Oh, yeah, she must lie. She lies a lot. What, what did she lie about? Now, I'm not saying she's never, she was never in a position where she had to spin, which is really often a nice way of saying a contextualized lie. Yeah, sure. I'm sure she said some stuff sometimes to the press that was, you know, yeah, that was not on the up and up. Politicians also do this all the time. I mean, the left's contention that before the era of Trump, politicians were just just truth tellers. I'm like, oh, everyone knows the, the oldest cliche in the book is that politicians lie. We all know politicians lie. We you, you hold them accountable for it by voting against them. But they want a special accountability to be created where if you are and this is what this why this really matters. If you've worked for the Trump administration, the left wants to do what it always does, which is find a way to punish you in private life. They want to ostracize. They want to isolate, freeze and destroy people after they've left the Trump administration as punishment because they're vindictive, because the left is nasty and vindictive people, but also they want it as a warning sign to others who would go into the administration. You see, if you work for Obama, oh, you get money thrown at you to do, you get to be Jay Carney at Amazon and be in charge. You get to be the, look at the Obamas. Can you think of a better, cushier gig than a multi, 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 first of all, a $60 million book deal is unheard of. No one's going to read Obama's books. All right? They're, they're going to be written by somebody for Obama. No one's going to read them. But you don't buy Obama's books, his autobiography. Well, he's already written, two, of course, the two autobiographies before he was 50. But the, the latest book deal that I'm talking about, people will buy that Obama book just so they can have that book on their coffee table, on their bookshelf to show people, see, I'm, you know, I, one of those people that buys Obama's book, one of the smart people that does that, a lib. Uh, but he got he got an amazing gig. He's 
doing some deal. He has no media background or creative media background. He's just a guy who's always been about Obama his whole life. But now he's in charge of what creating these new major projects, documentaries and other things at Netflix. It's a dream job. This is very important, though. If you're a leftist, if you're a Democrat, you get the cushy, amazing, well-paid, easy and highly desirable jobs when you're done fighting for their side. The right falls down on this one. You know, we've got a handful of billionaires on the right. You know, they need to think more in terms of, you know, we stop giving money to boring think tanks nobody cares about. Start building creative projects and endeavors that allow people who have a conservative point of view to be creatives, to make movies, to make TV series. We could stream them online. It would be so much more impactful in the culture. Uh, impactful is, is that even really a word? People use it like it's a word all the time, but it would have so much greater, more profound importance. How about that? Instead of writing, writing another check to, you know, some foundation that no one cares about anymore. But the left takes care of its own. They get angry about Sarah Sanders getting a job at Fox News because it shows that there are at least some places you can go if you work for the Trump administration where you will have a job and a paycheck and a platform and relevance. And they hate that. They hate that. Think about it this way. If the White House press secretary, if Fox News did not exist, anybody who worked in this administration would know that they had basically no chance of getting a TV commentary job. Whereas anybody who worked for the Obama administration, it was just a straight pipeline. NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, NPR. Go down the list. Straight pipeline. You don't think that that has an effect on your ability to hire top people? You don't don't think that that changes the calculation for private citizens who are tremendously talented, who would like to work for Trump and say to themselves, I don't know if I want to take the heat. And what happens afterwards? We don't take care of our own. We don't on the right. I mean, yeah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she's the press secretary. She's going to Fox. But if it wasn't Fox, not a lot. She's not going to get some huge book deal from, uh, you know, a major publisher. Uh -uh. Not unless she's going to trash Trump. We all know what happens. And then there's the spicy thing. Because the journalists are all upset about that, too. And this is what I want to say about that. So Spicy's going to be on Dancing with the Stars. I know the host is all, oh, I don't know about this. And what, what do we all remember Spicy for? Getting made fun of on SNL, which, I mean, it was pretty funny the first time. I will admit it was pretty funny. Getting made fun of on SNL and then coming out a little bit crazy-eyed and saying that the crowd at the inauguration was the biggest crowd ever, period. Like, that's what people really remember. And wearing some ill-fitting suits. That's what they remember. Should it bother anybody that this guy is going to be on reality TV dancing a little bit? You know, Sean Spicer, is he, is he, is he a bad guy? Is he a mean guy? No, everyone says he's nice. He's, you think he tries to be respectful. I think he's, you know, he's, he's a good dude. If Sean Spicer lived next door to you, you'd like Sean Spicer. Sean Spicer's a good man. From what I know of him, I've met him a couple times, and I know other people have been around him. But it's not like he's becoming Secretary of Defense, folks. He's going out Dancing with the Stars. Why is this such a big problem for the Lib Media? Oh, that's right, because this is another crack, and this is a crack that bothers them even more in their uh, blockade 
of post-Trump administration positions. You know, you work for Clinton, you get to be Stephanopoulos. You get to be a smug little jerk who makes $100 million in a business that is shrinking all the time and that has no real vision for the future. This whole, I'm a news anchor on the nightly news, you know, this is, or whatever it is on the morning thing, GMA. The point is, this guy's a $100 million man based on what? You could put 15, 100 different people in that job. The same ratings wouldn't matter. He is tight with the right people. and He's tight with the right people because he worked for Clinton. You work in a Democrat White House, you're set for life. In whatever field you want, whatever, you can sit on the boards of companies, you, you're set. You work for a Republican, especially Trump. Really, Trump is the one that bothers them the most. They want you to be frozen out in uh, private life. They don't want you to get jobs. They don't want you in the boards of companies. They don't want you in creative endeavors. They don't want you in the culture. And Dancing with the Stars, as much as I've never even seen the show, so let's be honest, uh, that's, they view that as a slap in the face because libs like to control entertainment in Hollywood. And they, and they like to know that that's their thing. That's a possession the left maintains and they can keep out big, bad, mean Trump people, even if it's a little not mean Trump person like Spicer. You know, let's, let Spicy do a little bit of dancing. Let, let Spicy do the cha-cha. I don't think he's going to last that long. But stealth is really up in arms because, you know, Spicy lied and he lied and he normalized lying and it's really bad. I mean, look, I, I will say this. The fact that Brian Stelter could have a cable news show that he hosts, it's good news for all of us because it means that anything is possible, folks. I Apparently, I still could play in the NFL. I'm getting a little old, but, you know, if Spicy, I mean, not Spicy, if Stelter, they kind of remind me of each other. If Stelter could have a, uh, a show, any of us can. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. I, I just want to know, is it is it safe? Are we allowed to engage with anti-gun activist David Hogg's ideas? Are, are we allowed to now? Is it going to be a problem if, if I say that he's a sanctimonious, uh, he's a sanctimonious punk who doesn't know anything? And the fact that he doesn't just put out ideas, but also wants to be an activist that hurts people's careers, hurts their ability to support their families, fights dirty, essentially. Says, oh, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. You can't, you can't disagree with me. And then goes after people. That's what he does. This is the game. This is what the left does all the time. It's one of their favorite tactics. God bless her. Ann Coulter was the one who really laid this. I can't remember which book it was. She laid this out in one of her books, though, which I have read. I, <laughs> look, you guys know I'm a... I think Coulter is something special. I've read every one of her books. Every, I think there are 13 of them. I've read every single Ann Coulter book. She's the, I, her and Christopher Hitchens are the only authors I can think of where I believe I've read all their, all their works. Uh, so there you go. I know some of you are like, Buck, really? What about, what about Orwell? What about Shakespeare? What about the Bible? And I'm like, well, I read that stuff too, but I've read some other books. Um, but David Hogg was on Anderson Cooper's show, which we have to remember is not really a news show, right? It's just a boring opinion show. That's what CNN specializes in. They say it's a news show, but it's really a boring opinion show. And he's, he's on there with, with uh, David Hogg, who's getting all this attention still. I'll never forget when Hogg went on the Rachel Maddow show and she acted like, oh, I'm like getting like I'm getting butterflies in my stomach from 
just being so excited that you're here. Like she did this whole, you know, it's amazing that this, what a, what a big celebrity. I'm like, yeah, I think Rachel Maddow's probably dealt with, you know, bigger celebrities. She's probably having tea with Oprah this weekend. But uh, Hogg was on TV, and you can tell the anti-gun activists are, are, are angry right now. And they are anti-gun activists. Let's say this is not about common sense, gun control. No, they just, they're looking to just, shut down as much of the Second Amendment as they can as fast as they can. They want to do bans. They want to do forced, uh, I was going to say, forced turning, forced buyback. It's just confiscation with compensation. That's all that is. They want to do those kinds of things. But they say it's about you know common sense, gun reform, all this stuff. Okay. Let's just keep in mind they're particularly upset right now because what I've said about they, I, I've heard some of them now in the last 24 hours after I said it here on the show, they're, they've caught on, too, to Trump understanding that he just has to ride out the the emotionally charged, you know, oh, my gosh, part of the news cycle when all the media knows that they're going to get on the same sheet of music. They're going to try to push for more gun control. And they are very upset because Trump now will say to them, OK, let's have a conversation and he just keeps saying that. And then he goes, yeah, no, but the, I don't think these ideas are all that good. At least that's what I see right now. So Anderson Cooper's giving David Hogg airtime. He's sitting down with him. Very, uh, very elevated platform on CNN in primetime. Play clip nine. Donald Trump says he's a man of his word. He says that, uh, you know, he is someone that is able to get his job done and is able to take action and, and that he is not controlled by anyone. Prove it. Prove that you're not controlled by the NRA. That's what I would say to him. And uh, realize that when you go back and forth and you get caught up in these debates, that shows how you think politics is a game. But when people think politics is a game, people die. When people think politics is a game, people die. This is something that if you said in an eighth grade social studies class, your teacher might think, oh, that was, you know, that's a good little moment, you know, and then pat you on the head. What does that even mean? When people think politics is a game, people die. This is like a, a line that even Aaron Sorkin would find too sanctimonious and annoying. This is this is on prime time on a, on a cable news channel that's supposed to be the gold standard for journalism. Although that's obviously a joke. No pushback from Cooper on any of this, but Cooper just sits there. It's like he's taking dictation from from David Hogg. He can't be seen to question him. This is a this is a major issue. This is about. Gun violence, this is about gun ownership, about the Second Amendment, about the Constitution, the limits of the state, our ability to fight back against tyranny, to defend ourselves. You, you don't think there's any ex, any exchange that should happen here? No, it's just Anderson Cooper nodding, you know, nodding uh, continuously as Hogg explains all things about the gun control world to him. Well, let's see about gun confiscation specifically. They got into this, play 10. These are weapons of war that never should have been on our streets in the first place. I can guarantee you that the framers of the Constitution uh, never would have imagined a weapon like the AR-15 being in the hands of an American citizen. They never would have imagined somebody going into a school. But doesn't this right? play into the narrative of, I mean, Democrats want to take away your guns? I think it plays into the narrative of, look, if we want to talk about this issue in reality, we're going to be honest about it. We're not going to dance around the issue. And March for Our Lives is not uh, a group of Democrats. We're not a group of Republicans. We're a group of Americans that believe in peace and that we want to create it. All prop. I mean, this is just propaganda now. I don't think it's that narrative. I think it's the narrative of like, we don't want like dead children. 
we don't want people to get shot. It's like, dude, come on. You got you got to have more than that. Because you are talking about confiscation. Just admit it. Just let's we're, this is government policy, the use of government force. He's an adult now, folks. He's a national activist, a political figure. We're allowed. We're allowed to disagree with what he says. He he's going to have to be willing to take the heat. Especially after what they did to, to Kyle Kashev because of his old tweets. Kyle Kashev got rejected from Harvard after the fact because he wrote some very stupid. But, you know, he's a teenager, like 15, I think, when he wrote them or 14. So he's, a, you know, they targeted him. I mean, they went after him. But, oh, David Hogg, this, but this is the left understands, sends a message. If you're a gun control activist, you're protected, you're elevated, you're famous. People will be solicitous around you. They'll oh, you're amazing. If you're also somebody who suffered the exact same victimhood status as David Hogg, but you're going to say that you believe in the Second Amendment, we're going to crush you. That's what they did. But back to what Hogg said here to Cooper, the AR-15 is not a weapon of war. AR-15 has never been issued to our military in combat zones. That's just not true. So, again, facts should matter. They don't matter to leftists, especially leftists when it comes to gun control. But that is not accurate. And then he mentioned the March for Our Lives. I went to a March for Our Lives. When I, whenever I say went to one of these rallies, I hope you all understand, it means that I, I covered it. I was engaged in the journalistic enterprise of being there to take photos and see it, but I was obviously not partaking because I think it's idiotic. First of all, the fact they call it March for Our Lives. It's just all, oh, you know, let's create hysteria. Let's create an emotional narrative that allows us to feel like we're, we're the good people and they're all the bad people. I was there. I saw lots and lots of signs that were just stupid. They were just worthless. I saw people that also had their children carrying around signs. And I mean four-year-olds. They, they dress their four-year-olds up as political props. Now, their parents, I mean, I, they're allowed to do this. They're kids, but I think it's weird. I think it's weird to have your kid hold up a sign when he's three or four at a rally that says, you know, I don't want to get shot, ban guns. That, that's not an argument. But that's, the left doesn't make arguments about this stuff. And of course they're Democrats. Of course they're Democrats at these March for Our Lives rallies. It's all leftists. Just like the March for Science, the Women's March, the March for Our Lives. These are all just branded, narrative-based, anti-Trump movements, anti-conservative movements. That's what this is all about. So just let's, let's have an adult conversation. Let's be honest about what's happening here. Oh, but David Hogg thinks that he's the one who's being honest about this. Play, play 11. That's what I would say to Donald Trump is, if you want to have a discussion about peace and how Americans can come together and not only talk about mass shootings, but talk about the reality of gun violence in the United States today and the stories that are not on TV and the fact that, you know, two thirds of gun deaths happen in rural and suburban areas that are predominantly gun suicides. Let's talk about that. Let's have an actual conversation about mental health where it's not continuously stigmatized. Let's have a conversation about why in the United States and almost every community it is easier to access a gun to end your own pain than it is to go and access an affordable quality therapist. Right. Can can I also just put out there that the the left pretending that suicide by gun is now a problem that they care Deeply about. Keep in mind, you had Antifa yelling at cops just last, what was it, last weekend to, to kill themselves. So that's, keep that in mind. That's how much, that's how the left really feels about law enforcement suicides. But to say that they care so much about uh, the suicide epidemic in this country, the left is also the political party that believes, 
overwhelmingly in uh, physician-assisted suicide. So they think that you should be able to take your own life. Their objection seems to me to be the means by which one takes their own life, not that we just don't want people taking their own lives. I'd have much more respect if they're saying we have a suicide epidemic. We need to take care of that across the board. And every life is precious, including the unborn. And every life should be protected by the state. But that's not what they say. Oh, they're worried about the suicide epidemic in this country from guns. They don't worry about the You know, the rest of it is not really a conversation that we have to have. Think about how much attention the mainstream media really gives to the opioid epidemic, which kills over 70,000 people a year. When was, ask yourself this, for all of the media gnashing of teeth and oh my gosh and guns, 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 all the stuff you've seen in the last 90 days, how many stories have you seen from a non-Fox media uh, channel, news channel, dealing with the opioid epidemic? You know why they don't care about the opioid epidemic? Because it is predominantly suburban and rural whites who are dying. And that's not a narrative that the left cares about because it doesn't allow them to feel superior. It doesn't allow them to feel morally righteous. I think there's some other psychological components too about why they, how else can you explain that? Far more people are dying from these uh, substances, fentanyl and carfentanyl that are designed to be uh, incredibly potent and very easily lethal. But that's not a story. That, oh, and they also don't want to talk about how much of that stuff is coming from the cartels across our porous border, by the way, while our border is being used to buy baby formula. And, you know, we're being told that we're essentially Nazis because we're not giving illegal aliens uh, you know, flu vaccine the second they show up. I mean, flu vaccine doesn't even work most of the time. And I couldn't even get it last year. I went to like 20 different places. They were all out of it. But, oh, we don't give it to illegals at the border. We're bad people. Meanwhile, we got... The, the fentanyl and the car fentanyl is coming up from our southern border. That's where most it's coming up from the cartels. But, oh, we don't we don't get to hear about that. That's not an important story. Better to be lectured by David Hogg with an assist from Anderson Cooper about guns. Neither of them know. Uh, neither of them know a damn thing about guns, really. But their audience. Oh, guns. You know what? The, you know what the CNN audience is really all about when it comes. And I used to work at CNN, as you know, you know, what the CNN audience is all about when it comes to guns making sure that there is always a feeling of superiority uh, superiority to the economically and politically and educationally and morally less than conservative white male who they always think of as the gun owner. The Trump voting, pickup truck riding, hillbilly gun owner, that's what CNN... That's why they hate guns so much. Guns are a political stand-in for the people who own guns. And they like to, rem- they like to be constantly reminded they're better than those people. Because you see, the CNN audience and David Hogg and others, they care about all the people getting killed by guns. You don't care if you don't agree with them. That's the story. That's what they want you to know. Well, I'm here to break it all down for you. We got more. Stay with me. Are you running against him? I'm strongly, strongly considering it. That's... Again, I'm not trying to be cute or coy. I've told you before, if somebody's going to get in there and go after him, John, it's got to be done soon. You're running out of time. But more importantly, these are not conventional times. Look at the guy in the White House. 
These are urgent times. Somebody needs to make that case. I have yet to hear any potential Republican make that case. Why Look, wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you run at this point? Again, if you feel as strongly as you do, why not you? I may. I just don't know yet, John. I don't know yet. But it's got to be done soon. And if I do it, I will do it soon. I mean, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> it really is. You got... Uh, Joe Walsh, who I you know I've met, and you know, he's he seems like an okay guy from our very brief interaction, I suppose. But I mean, the guy's just all over the place, and has a really uh, a checkered past, to put it mildly. And you know, he's a guy who said, I think it was wasn't he the one that tweeted that if Trump lost the election, it's time to like grab our muskets and go for revolution. And now he's he's just one of the one of these guys who set himself up to be one of the anti-Trump, one of the never Trump grifters. There's a lot of never Trump grift that goes on. And I will tell you, it has been very disappointing to see some of the people who look. I can I can tell you who there there are principled never Trumpers who were never Trump from the beginning who admit that, or at some level at least understand, that they now have some level of Trump derangement syndrome. They can't really be objective anymore. But they do still hold to some conservative values and principles, and, and or, or they hold all conservative values and principles. They just can't admit when Trump is doing the same. And those people I can, I can handle. The people that are, oh, I'm so conservative, now I'm going to be a Democrat. Or I'm so Republican now. I'm gonna I'm gonna help the left destroy Trump. I mean, we've all had enough of this. That guy Evan McMullen. I mean, that was preposterous. His candidacy was ridiculous. The things he said about Russia collusion are absurd. I mean, he's a laughingstock, and he should be. He's a joke. But I suppose maybe just using the media's hunger, incredible hunger for any quote conservative anti-Trump voice. Is now it's now a a choice that people make for purely professional reasons. Oh, you know, you you want to? I mean, think about this. I I could go. I could write an editorial, and you know, in the Hill or wherever, and and I could talk about how I've turned on Trump, and now I see the wrong. Oh, I'd be on CNN. I'd be on MSNBC for a couple of weeks for sure. Buck, tell us why Trump is basically Hitler. Well, you know, I used to say that he's doing a great job, but. I didn't feel like I was getting enough attention from the administration, so I decided to come on your network and say that Trump is basically Hitler. You see a lot of people doing this. I think we just have to. It's not even really worth uh, engaging. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, a really serious effort to avoid ever mentioning these laughable third party, oh, I'm going to take on Trump candidates or any of these so-called conservative candidates. I'm not getting McMullined again. That much I'm telling you. There will be no more Mc, McMuffin, McMullen, whatever. No more McMullining. The Buckster on this show. Can't believe we ever had that guy on the show. I'm still kind of embarrassed we did. So we know there are different rules for those on the left and those on the right in life in general now. uh, Because the left is more emotional, tends to be more vindictive, more self-righteous, more sanctimonious. These are generalizations, but they're generalizations that tend to be true. We know that people who are Democrats, who are leftists, will be given second chances or will get away with things entirely, whereas people on the right will be made an example of, will be crushed, will be destroyed. This is particularly true in the media. Now, there are only a few areas of a few areas of conversation, topics where you might think, okay, 
really everyone is more or less uh, everyone more or less understands that you can't go there so to speak that that there's there, there are certain things that even leftists I mean, you know you know here here's an example of it I mean I, I think that you know, making fun of, and I know that there's, oh, but Trump, you know, this is not, I'm not, it's not, first of all, I, I do not believe that what they say about Trump with making fun of the disabled reporter is true, but nonetheless, uh, making fun of somebody with disabilities, left and right in the media, I can only speak for the media side of it, but tend to agree that that's just so, uh, so wrong and unkind and, and pathetic to do that you would never, and you know, we know not to engage in that. Like, I'm just saying there are very few areas where we agree, okay, that's going too far. Generally speaking, you think that respect for veterans and for veterans' service falls into that category. You would also think that even the most left-wing, Bernie Sanders-supporting, Ocasio-Cortez-loving progressive commie uh, would understand that if you're an American, you should uh, show respect to those who are combat veterans and particularly a wounded combat veteran like, oh, say, former Navy SEAL and now Congressman Dan Crenshaw, who went on the Joe Rogan show and is somebody I've mentioned before that a lot of people believe Give him 10 years, he's going to run for president. You know, maybe it's maybe it's 16 years or something. Who knows? But, it, but give give him some time. He's probably going to run for president. He's a young guy. He's already got a big profile and his background is impressive. And we all know that he also is a recipient of the Purple Heart. He's wounded. He was wounded and lost his eye. He's blind in one eye and wears an, an eye patch because he was hit with shrapnel from an IED. Now. This came up once in pop culture because a guy, Pete Davidson, made some very unfunny, uh, unfunny jokes about this on Saturday Night Live. And Pete Davidson was rightly and resoundingly uh, criticized for this, really shouted down for this. And he did come forward and apologize. And Crenshaw accepted the apology in person and, you know, it turned into a, OK, we're all we're all squared away here. We're going to move on situation, which I think is important. I, I would like a more of a, a restoration of that type of, of grace in society where an, an honest apology accepted by the person. That's it. OK, now we move on. Now we're done. We all make mistakes. Forgiveness is an important part. Of, OK, fine. But it was one. It was a moment where you saw, OK, even if you're a leftist anti-Trump uh person like Pete Dominic, there are certain things that you can't get away with making fun of. You can say it. I don't need people to say, oh, the First Amendment. I'm, I'm not talking about legally you can't get away with it. I mean, in the court of public opinion, such as it is, I don't really like that phrase, but the general public consensus is going to be very against you. Making fun of a wounded veteran is, I thought, clearly in that area, but there's this organization out there, media organization, called the Young Turks. Now, they are uh, avowed socialists. I mean, they're lunatics. They, they actually are, are the, the far left fringe of the American political spectrum. Uh, they also employ people who tend to be very nasty. Uh, very, they're very personal in their attacks on people. Uh, they are intellectually flimsy, but they appeal to this 
young woke super left culture and they're very up on the on the digital scene and and Jenk uh Uger, who I've I've actually sat and chat and talked to once on Rising because I had to and I will say he was not out of line on Rising so we had a we had a a fair I was about to say a fair and balanced conversation we had a fair and balanced conversation uh, but he has a nephew uh, named uh, Hassan Piker, who is uh, really like Zoolander with a lower IQ. He's a, a, a an aspiring male model who now is a left wing bomb thrower on the Young Turks network. And he went off on what is. I remember the Young Turks network. Some of you may know it. Some of you may not. I think they just raised 20 million dollars of venture, venture capital money from a a big uh, a big Silicon Valley guy. They've got millions and millions of subscribers online. They have an audience. I mean, this is not some obscure troll farm online that nobody really knows what they are. They have an audience. They have leftists that think that these people who just, they don't know history, they don't know what they're talking about. They deny the Armenian genocide, too, because Cenk, who is a Turk, um, and his nephew is obviously Turkish, too. They, they still openly uh, say that the Armenian genocide is not what people say it is. That it essentially didn't happen. Um, but Has- this guy, Hassan, uh, who I've occasionally come across in cyberspace and think is is really just a, a pathetic moron. He said some stuff. I mean, you're going to hear it's horrible, but you're going to hear it's bleeped. And I just want you to note that not a single mainstream media outlet today, not one. This guy has hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter and Facebook and is is part of the premier digital socialist media platform in America, is a host on it, has his own show. Not one major media outlet today even touched that this guy went on the most deranged, disrespectful, and just stupid rant about Dan Crenshaw, specifically mocking uh, mocking him for losing his eye, cheering on the terrorist who took his eye using an IED, making insane sexual references to to Dan Crenshaw's. I, I can't even really explain it. I mean, we're, we bleeped out some of the stuff and also said the U.S. deserved 9-11. This guy is is really deranged. And his followers are all morons, by the way, which is that one of the good things is the people that listen to this show. It's one of the reasons why I'm always so happy to see them. They're, they're good, smart, nice, decent patriots. It's just true. If you listen to the Buck Sexton show, there's there's about a 99 percent chance. I mean, there's some libs that pop in and out because they're trying to find me saying the wrong thing. But, you know, there's like a 99 percent chance you're a good, honest. All American kind patriot. If you're somebody that watches the Hassan show, you probably like Antifa, think that you're super woke, believe there are 55 genders and are a complete moron. And after what this guy said about a decorated Navy SEAL who lost his eye, if you still watch this guy, now you're just a sadistic lunatic and a moron. Here is here is his rant. Uh, Well, actually, let's let's start with America deserved 9-11 play two. This is so insane. America deserved 9-11, dude. F*** 
Okay, I'm saying it. We're there to partner with them. We're not there doing our own thing. We're there partnering and training in a video and, and game. And, and enhancing their capabilities. So that, that's part of what we're doing. And the other part is just knowledge. We want to know what's happening. Like we, we, don't we f totally brought it on ourselves, dude. Holy We did. We f did. In a video game, whatever, hypothetically, politically, we f did, man. We did. Look at the way that this dip running his f mouth, justifying genocide right now. Like, how, how is this? How is anything I'm saying controversial? Like, we f fund the people who did 9-11 still to this day. Donald Trump literally went on national television and said, they buy $10 million, $10 billion worth of weapons. So if they chop, chop, chop an American uh, legal permanent resident, it's okay. I, it, he's so stupid that I, I can't imagine any human being with an IQ over 50 enjoying his commentary or listening to him. And yet, hundreds of thousands of leftists follow him on social media. Some, some of them, I'm sure, now are conservatives who wanted to see how crazy he is. But that wasn't the craziest thing this guy even said on his show. Remember, this is the Young Turks, tens of millions of dollars raised, leftists showering them with money, partnering with Google and YouTube. They've got a huge YouTube channel. They're all over the digital space, and they are brainwashing, unfortunately, the most ignorant 20-something-year-olds you can find to make them think that, you know, Bernie Sanders understands healthcare and math and that socialism is good and the history and the, the, that people who talk like me who will talk about how socialism has immiserated billions of people, if you look at it over the last hundred years or so, uh, they, they don't want to they don't want to hear about it. They don't talk, you know, that's all lies and you're a corporate chill. But then this guy just goes completely insane. I mean, he just says the most hateful, bizarre. But he's calling he's calling out Dan Crenshaw. Dan Crenshaw is a, is a decorated Navy SEAL. OK, he's not. You know, like sometimes people go, you know, they give me a hard time. Oh, you're the CIA. You must have just been torturing people and then drinking coffee back. It's like, yeah, I was an analyst. I worked for Langley. I did the best I could to try to help in the war effort against Al Qaeda. You know, I wasn't kicking indoors and shooting bad guys. Never pretended to. Never will say that I did. I did my part. I did what I thought I could do to help. Dan Crenshaw was kicking indoors and shooting bad guys in the face. This guy was out there on the battlefield, decorated Navy SEAL. And this little punk is talking this kind of smack about him? I mean, I would be, if a conservative friend of mine went off on Dan Crenshaw, which would never happen, right? Because we know that leftists pretend to support the military, but they don't. They, leftists always, they put forward, it's, there's always like one or two guys who are just like psychotically socialist, but they did, you know, one tour on a base in, a, in Iraq. They never left the base, but like now they're just going to run around and, any conservative that wants to have an opinion on the war, they're, oh, you weren't there, you didn't serve. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, some some people serve in different ways. And like the leftists that I know are the ones who generally were like a logistics, you know, supply sergeant, but they're lecturing all the rest of America about how you're not allowed to have an opinion on that, you know? And they don't sound like that either, by the way. Uh, but this guy's calling out a Navy SEAL, and then he goes on this rant, and you need to hear this just so you understand what a complete moron this guy is, and also his followers, who are disgusting. Play clip three. Soft power is the exact same as hard power. Soft power, embassies, diplomacy, exact same thing as military bases. I'm, I can't do this. I can't do this. This guy has the understanding of foreign policy uh, of like a 12-year-old. What the f***? What the f***? What's wrong with this dude? Didn't he go to war and like literally lose his eye because some Mujahideen, a brave soldier, his eye hole with their 
Isn't that how he lost his dumbass eye? Because he got his eye hole by a brave soldier? Didn't he learn that there's a difference between like military bases and, and diplomacy? That guy is referring to a Taliban or Al-Qaeda terrorist as a brave soldier cheering him on for grievously wounding one of our Navy SEALs on the battlefield and then making bizarre sexual references to his eye socket. This person is a lunatic. This person should be outside the bounds of acceptable discourse. Jenk Uger, who's his uncle, by the way, so there's a family connection here. That's why this guy has this job in the first place. Total moron. This is the other side. So I, I want you to remember, you know, any day when you're listening to a conservative, and hopefully it's me, but, you know, if you're uh, listening to some other conservatives too, and people say, how oh, could you listen to that person? Think about who's on our team. Think about the people that you, you know, you, maybe you like, whether it's on radio or TV, you know, you like Sean or Rush or, or Glenn or Ben Shapiro or Crowder or Guy Benson or Ben Dominich or you know, all these different people we have on the show, guests, friends, some of those are hosts. Those are all good people. None of them in a million years would ever speak about a wounded Navy SEAL in this way or any member of the United States military or any human being for that matter in this way. It's not just that this piker fellow at the Young Turks is a disgrace and also an idiot. And what does he know about foreign policy? This guy went to like some, you know, I'm not, I'm not even going to get in. I'm not even going to get into it. Okay, it's getting me a little too fired up. Guy knows nothing. He's nothing about anything. He spends most of his time taking selfies. But for him to say these things, it's it's really also. I mean, I feel badly for the people that follow him, and because they're too stupid, they're not going to leave. He's not going to be deplatformed. He won't face any consequences. The left won't make him face any consequences. Where's big brave Jake Tapper now? Loves the military so much, Jake. Right. Where's he on this issue? This guy has a big following. This guy is a, a big name on the Internet now. And he's saying this about a decorated Navy SEAL. Do you think CNN will do one story about this? Do you think Brian Stelter will do one story about this? This is why they're, they're just cowards, folks. They have, they have no real integrity, no real honor. Think about the stories they do on CNN about, you know, some conservative will have tweeted something out 10 years ago when they were 15 and CNN, oh my gosh, look at this racism from when the kid was 14 and was being an idiot. This guy's doing this, calling out a Navy SEAL and, and saying, I mean, look, he's, I mean, this is, a, this is an individual with a following who's talking about a terrorist, uh, you know, sticking parts of his anatomy. I, I can't even get, I can't even describe, there's not even a way for me to describe what he is talking about in his clip without, I think, crossing lines. This like sick maniac and his followers and the people that support him and think he's cool and edgy. They're just too stupid to know that you shouldn't actually spend your time listening to a person who above and beyond anything else has no honor and is not a good person. To say what Hassan Piker says about Dan Crenshaw, Dan Crenshaw is all you need to know about someone to know that he has no honor and he is not a good person. It also shows you that he's not a good host and is a moron. But those are a little bit down the list of importance. The Young Turks, everybody. The left-wing vanguard on the Internet. This is what they put forward. Just remember that going forward because I'm sure they're going to be coming after yours truly 
They've done it before. They're going to be doing it again in the future, especially as we go digital and stream. We'll be right back. And I went a little long on that one, team. Sorry, I got I got obviously a bit fired up on it. I just I couldn't help but uh, I I don't know. I mean, once if, if they're going to start normalizing disrespect for wounded veterans on the left, what do we what do we have left? What do we have left that's common ground? Anyway, I'm in the final phase of my pack out here in D.C. I will tell you, it's very it's been a very quiet month in D.C. because when the Congress isn't here, that's like the main show. That's the main event here. So when Congress is not around, um, then you definitely feel like this city's, you know, it's everyone's kind of on vacation one way or another. Um, but I'm, I'm doing my my whole pack out and I'm hoping that uh, nothing there's, there's no problems. There's always an issue. I said this yesterday, but it's true. Whatever you move, there's always an issue. Gosh, I've lived in so many places and bounced all over and all these different apartments. And it's, I, I envy those of you who are able to graduate from college and live in like a house or two for most of your adult life. You have missed out on so much unnecessary frustration. I spent an hour day on the phone just trying to get my internet and cable canceled and then set up and then uh, it's a total nightmare man how can they not make this stuff easier these multi-billion dollar corporations and i'm sure i'm gonna try to look tough in front of the movers and lift something heavy and hurt my old back my back hurts it's gonna happen i have been packing and packing it feels like for days now man it's amazing how much crap we all acquire you know you think oh i'm not a pack rat i'm not i'm not a hoarder you know, I don't keep that much. Oh, no, you have more trust. If you haven't had to move in many, many years, you have more stuff than you realize. Uh, I'm going through things like, why do I have a why do I have a term paper from like 10th grade history class that somehow is in the bottom of a metal box that, I, you know, I got all kinds of random stuff here. So um, I'm looking forward to trying to sh- to well, trying to shed more of the unnecessary stuff that I've got here. But uh Man, packing is exhausting, and it really takes over your whole your whole mindset. Um, the good news is it's also a reminder that things are just things. You don't really need it, you know. If you got uh, purpose in your day to day, and you're healthy, and you've got a family, and you got friends, you really just need some very very basic stuff to be happy. So that's what I try to tell myself: is I'm like, throw this out, throw that out. But man, we are at T minus twenty four hours until the Buckster is back in NYC his hometown, his natural habitat, his original environment. This is where the Freedom Hut goes global, my friends. Truly global from NYC. Plus, producer Mark can make fun of me in person every day, which is going to be way better. So that's something for all of us to look forward to. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Last show from the D.C., from the swamp, for at least uh, a while. I don't know when I'll be back down here. I'm sure I'll have to come back down here at some point. Maybe to save the Republic. I don't know. NBD. We'll have to see. See how things go. That's what I know. Woman. Woman. All right, here we go. Um... Get me off this crazy thing called love. Uh, 
Tim writes, hey, Buck, I've been a huge fan going back all the way to the Saturdays on the Blaze. I even chose to listen to you rather than Rush when you went to weekdays. My question to you, what do you think will happen in 2024 after Trump finishes his second term? God willing, the Dems will go completely crazy. How do we ever get our country back to normal again? P.S. I'm a vet of the Beirut bombing back in 83. Any chance of a deep dive on that attack? Love the podcast. Thank you so much, Tim. And thank you for your service. Uh, I think we we did do at one point a pretty in-depth uh, show on the bombing of the Marine barracks in Beirut a while ago. I don't remember. It was for the anniversary. I just don't remember what year we did it. Um, but I think I will probably try to work that back into the, at least into a discussion in the rotation here. And yes, indeed. Uh, thank you so much for writing. In. Oh, how, how do we, what do we do about Democrats being insane? That's always an interesting question. I don't think I have an easy, I don't think I have a readily apparent answer for you. I, I think that they are already so crazy that I couldn't begin to explain what the next level of craziness will look like if Trump wins four more years. Remember that there's definitely uh, there's definitely a sense that that Trump they've always thought was going to go away prematurely. They've been told. I mean, they've been conditioned to think that he wouldn't even finish out his first four years. Never mind going for four more years beyond that. As for uh, what do I think will happen with them? Who knows? They'll come up with another reason. I mean, I can tell you this: if Trump wins the next election. They will come up with a reason why it is illegitimate. They will say that there was either voter suppression or the narrative will not be that Trump won fair and square no matter what he does. The narrative will not be that he won fair and square. They will they will claim that somehow Trump cheated. Chris writes, hold on a second. Buck, love the show. Chris, love your love of the show. I, for one, really enjoyed the spectacle of Trump canceling his Denmark visit. There are way too many third and fourth tier countries that think it's acceptable and proper to trash America and Trump. You never hear our diplomats use the disrespectful language other countries use towards us. This has been going on for a long time. It's just more pronounced under Trump. Trump is right. A no thank you would have been appropriate. These same countries fall over themselves to avoid any hint of disrespect for Muslim countries or scary actors like Russia and China. It's like a teen who figured out he can mouth off to his parents, but is sweet to strangers. Enough. If we have to get a bit nasty now to get some respect, it's better than letting this fester. See how Germany ignores calls to pay their dues for NATO? Asking politely for the last 20 years accomplished nothing. Failure to get more forceful just encouraged more bad behavior. They call Trump crass and vulgar, but act like jackasses themselves um yeah chris i i we gotta say uh i think you're on to something with the the lack of respect that some countries that tend to be more liberal politically as a general just you, european countries are more in line with the american democratic party we know this right the the european approach their general um atheism diversity obsession big government love socialism there's much more. Not, that, not everyone in Europe, by the way, falls into those categories, of course. There are some conservatives that we would recognize as conservatives. Really, in the European context, they might be more traditional liberals, actual liberals in the old Edmund Burkean 
mold of being a liberal, somebody focused on liberty, you know, John Stuart Mill, liberty, not liberal means you do whatever I say and the government's going to enforce whatever dictates I have, even if they're contradictory and kind of crazy. That's what, quote, liberal means today. Rhonda writes, Buck, I love your show. I discovered you during your blaze days. Your discussions about the history and purpose of the Crusades made me a fan. Well, thank you. How does one possess so uh, so young, possess such broad knowledge of history and wisdom of the ages? Rhonda from Alabama. Well, Rhonda, that's very sweet of you, and thank you. And uh, it's an honor to have had you with me as long as you've been part of the team. I uh, I wish I had even more time to acquire a whole lot more wisdom on the subjects that really interest me, particularly in history. I do enjoy reading old history books. I find history to be one of the most worthwhile escapes for the mind you could you could have. Some people meditate, and I'm thinking about getting into meditation. I want to try it because I hear it can be very helpful for uh, somebody saying, Buck, you should pray instead. Prayer and meditation don't necessarily have the same uh approach or the same it's not you don't do it the same way from what i understand i mean it's i gotta learn more about it but about meditation probably oh about prayer too but meditation as well so for me if i'm really if i have some time and i can really relax and i want to just let my brain it you know it's not letting your brain relax the way watching a uh, a silly tv show is i keep telling myself i'm gonna try new shows and then i just end up watching the office a rerun of the office for the millionth time I don't know what I'm going to do when they take that off of Netflix. It's going to be so, going to be so sad. I think Dwight Schrute is one of the best TV characters of all time. I mean, Dwight Schrute is is absolutely hilarious and so well written and clever. So, is he better than Ron Swanson on Parks and Rec? No, of course not. Ron Swanson is a better character on Parks and Rec. He's also a libertarian, really a libertarian conservative. And but Parks and Rec is not as good a show as The Office. I used to have that backwards, but I've learned. I have grown now, uh, and so I understand more things. Uh, let's see. We have a Richard um, who writes, Buck, on student loans, if you buy a house, the interest rate is 3 or 4% of the government student loans. It's fixed at 7.5% by the government. If the Dems wanted to help everybody who has these student loans, all they have to do is drop the interest rate to 35 or 4%. And many who struggle to pay their loans would be able to pay them. This is a government-made crisis. They don't want to help those who need help. They'd rather have victims who suffer and their suffering go down the road to serfdom. Richard, I don't know about much about student loans. So I do know that I looked at taking out massive loans. Um, I, had, I was looking at, uh, after my application process, and I was looking at a business school at uh, NYU and the Wharton School of Business at University of Pennsylvania, and I just looked at the amount of money I was going to have to borrow and said, I, I just don't want to do this. I didn't like the idea of having that kind of, th- that amount of debt. That bothered me. That really bothered me. Um, now, some people do it, and it's well worth it to them, And they, but I also, I, I hadn't uh, built up any assets, so I was really going to have to be paying them off right away from whatever earnings I had. And Look, we all make different decisions. What can you do? John writes, Buck, good luck with your move. I, too, have to move a bunch. I live in 11 states and several places, in each totaling at least 27 homes. And no, I'm not military. Take care of your back and your sanity. 
Yeah, thanks, John. You know, moving is moving is not fun. And it's it's not a process that I think you get better at the more you do. It's one of the rare one of those rare things that every time you do it, it's annoying. Every time you do it, there are new problems and new challenges. I, I can honestly say I have not gotten better at moving. I have not established any more skills at being because uh, I have new th- new things, different things, you know, all kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. Uh, let's see here. Gina. Hey, Buck. While you were talking about Thule in Greenland, a favorite movie of mine came to mind. Private Benjamin had our heroine face with being restationed as a penalty for calling out sexual abuse. The commanding officer wanting her as far away as possible declared Greenland. Her response, Greenland? What? Penguins? Uh, LOL, loved it. She ended up in Europe. Brilliant. Shields high. Buck. I don't know. Thank you, Jeannie. I don't know what we're talking about here. I don't know what. Oh, it's Private Benjamin the movie? Is that a movie? Producer Mark, have you ever heard of this? I don't know. Sounds familiar, but I haven't seen it. Sounds like uh, it might be one. I don't, I don't know. Pablo. Hey, Buck. I know this will never happen, but I have an idea for gun control. Uh-oh, here we go. I say incorporate the education system with gun safety courses. Start in late elementary school, fifth or sixth grade, with gun safety rules on paper. As the children get older, have them introduce different types of guns. I believe this would give children more respect for weapons. On a totally different subject, watch the Netflix movie The Package. It's not going to win any awards, but it is ludicrously hilarious. Um, Okay. Uh, First of all, thank you for the recommendation. I will check that out. And as for gun safety courses, I I do wish that there were some different offerings in school. You know, I, I think it would have been... Really worthwhile. I've told, I've talked to you before about how I think a, a personal finance class, people should learn this. I mean, we should be taught in school what what we should be doing with money at an early age, what compound interest is, what we we should be taught wealth creation. I'm just going to say it. That doesn't mean you're rich necessarily. It just means you have an understanding of how to leverage whatever assets you acquire for maximum financial. Security, I mean, to increase your own personal prosperity. I mean, I knew people that were working for the government, for example, and starting in their early 20s, they'd go overseas, they'd bank all their money, and then they came back. And I I remember I spoke to a guy who was a a contractor for the government overseas. He was like in his late 20s. And he told me that, you know, he had put away six figures over the after taxes over the course of his first year being overseas. He was investing in things, investing in property. And I was like, I was 25 or 26. I said, really? You're investing? I had no idea. So people should learn these things at an early age and, and understand. And also then they can make better choices about you know, what, what, what matters to you. What kind of lifestyle do you need to have to be happy? Uh, you know, if somebody offered me the ability to do a job that I love, but just have enough money that I could pay my bills and, and be happy, that's perhaps more valuable to me than trying to chase the golden ring of being a really wealthy person. But you want to have an understanding of what those different paths are and, and how you would pursue them and not just fall into things and try to figure it out. Uh, let's see what we got here. Friends is a... Uh, uh-oh, Aries. Uh-oh, hit the deck. It's Aries. Friends is a better show. I've heard a lot of women say that, but you're the first and only allegedly straight dude to say it. <laughs> That's 
that's not, hey, not that there's anything wrong with either way, uh, but whatever, friends, a better show. I'm just going to say it. It's just a more entertaining show that has stood the test of time more. Uh, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Jake and Kelsey. Buck, love your show. Been listening since just after OSS. I tell everyone who listens, you're the smartest guy on radio. Oh, that's so kind, Jake and Kelsey. Thank you. On your comments from today about Omar and the intersectionality, you're right that all those layers exist that force the left-wing media to back her regardless of what she says or does. That is unless we're in bizarro world and she were a conservative thought experiment. Imagine if this female Muslim, former refugee member of Congress, were actually a conservative and a huge Donald Trump supporter. Um, how would she be treated then? Worth a ponder, shield tie. Well, you look at Mia Love, for example, who is a, I think she's considered conservative. She's definitely a Republican. Uh, she's definitely GOP. And she, I believe, is the children of uh, Haitian immigrants. Uh, and she's a, I think she's a Mormon. She's out in Utah. And she never got the benefit from the media of being a female minority member of Congress. There was really very little celebration of that because she's, on the uh, on the team that they won't support, which is GOP team, conservative team. All right, team, that's going to be it for the show. My gosh, 15 months in D.C. That's what it's been, 15 months here. But I'm telling you this, we are going to be uh, reinvigorated. I am so excited. I've got new things that are going to be happening when I get to New York. We're going to be moving the show earlier, a little bit earlier in the day for those of you that are podcast listeners, which is going to be really great. So all of you will be able to listen in drive time if you want to. Uh, we've got plans to stream the show on video. We've got all kinds of cool stuff that will be happening. So uh, that's that's something to look forward to. Thank you all for supporting me, for being so uh, helpful and, and wonderful, cool, fun during my time down here in D.C. It has felt a little bit like a, a, a comfortable exile I'm excited to get back to my hometown, to the Big Apple, to NYC. And I'm sure I'll be bu bumping into some of you on the streets because I'm living right in the theater district. So I'll be right around there. I will uh, talk to you Monday. Ben Weingarten's in tomorrow. I'll talk to you Monday. Shields high.